0: God, y'all ready to get in the Word this morning? Okay, that was six of y'all. I know it's early, but I said, you ready to get in the Word this morning? Get your Bibles out turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. How many of you come ready to grow? Ready to be challenged? Ready to be loved? Amen. Sound excited about this this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to continue on in our series called Love Is. Why did you do Love Is, Pastor? Because It's cliche. We're in the month of February. It's Valentine's Month. It's also Black History Month. And here's one of the greatest people we celebrate during Black History Month is Dr. Martin Luther King. And he was all about love. But we don't realize that sometimes because the culture and the media want to tell you something different. But the truth of the matter is that man wanted to love everybody because he realized that God was love. It's amazing how we forget those pieces. Can can, can I just say this to you real quick? And I I want to say this out loud on Facebook for everyone to hear. And I want to say it for you in this church to hear there should never be a Black History Month. Black history should be a part of our culture. Amen. And Get quiet in this Presbyterian church real quick because he said it. I can't believe he said it. It needed to be said because I'm tired. Listen, listen, listen. I'm tired of a culture that says that we can only celebrate certain things at certain periods. It's like having Valentine's Day. If you love somebody, celebrate them all the time. You don't need one day of the year. If, if you love Jesus, don't wait till Christmas to honor him. Honor him all the days of your life. Don't wait till Easter to celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. Live his death, burial, and resurrection all of your life. It is amazing to me we've created a culture of celebratory moments rather than lifestyle of living. Is that okay? Okay, now we can get in the Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you got it, say, I got it, Pastor. If you don't say, help me, Jesus, you can look on your neighbor's Bible this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass... Or a clanging symbol, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me. Here it comes. You ready? Love. Suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let's pray real quick. This morning, God, we need your help. For this is one of the toughest areas that we live in today is to love. Not love ourselves, but love people. But we understand that in order to love people, we must understand what love is. And so, Father, I ask that as we continue through this series, that you will help us to define what your love is. Not what our idea of love is, but what your love is so that we can walk in the fullness of who you are, God. Help us today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let me recap where we went last week. We started off in the very beginning of this verse where it says in verse 4, it says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. And this is what we talked about in the first part. We talked about that love is patient. Love is patient. Patient with who? With people. Your neighbor right now. There, you got to be patient with them. Can I get an amen from somebody? If you're sitting next to Pastor Troy during worship, you've got to be patient with him. Amen. You just got to work with him. Amen. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you just got to be patient with people. You got to be patient with people at Walmart. When they cut you off, I, I had a little bit of road rage with Pastor Troy in the car with me yesterday. Because for some reason, people don't know how to drive in roundabouts in Slidell. I don't know what that's about. But they don't know how to do it. They go, uh, uh. she stopped at a yield sign, and I almost lost Jesus. There's no car coming, and you stop. At, Why are you stopping? I got to get to Best Buy. You were... You were you are causing a roadblock to the promised land. <laughs> can I get an amen for all the techie guys in the room? Okay. And so and so, I, I, was, I was having a moment, and, and I, I, I tell y'all, y'all got to pray for your pastor because he got road rage. I do. I, I feel like every year you should have to go get a reevaluation whether or not you can drive a car because I think people are driving cars that shouldn't be driving cars. Okay. You got to be patient with people. But you should be patient with people, Because when you're patient with people, it helps them to let go so that they can receive better. Amen? Amen. It also says love is sweet to all. Mm. Mm. <laughs> not only does God say your love has to be patient with people, but it has to be sweet to all. I won't be sweet to anybody. I'll be sweet to the ones that are sweet back, but I'm not going to be sweet to the ones that are not sweet to me. But that's not, that's not love because that's a payment plan. And the problem is is that what we have a tendency to do is only love those who can pay back in that same form of love, understanding that not everyone understands your form of love. And the greatest godly love is when godly love comes into a room with somebody who is ungodly. Because when you can love somebody that's ungodly, they now can receive the love of God. Amen. You have to be sweet. To all love doesn't want it doesn't need for anything love is everything it is because god is love love was created instituted formed manufactured put together by god it was not put together by man and i contrary to popular belief and all of the money you'll spend by f- the middle of february it was not put together by hallmark either Amen. love is not a new principle it was a principle that was insta- instituted in the foundations of the world it was put into the earth by god when he made everything. It is a part of who he is. It does not need your your special attention. You don't have to add to it. My love is my love. I cannot give you anything greater than my love. And you have to understand that love doesn't need you to add anything to it. It just needs you to operate in it. Love doesn't need a parade. In other words, when you love somebody, nobody needs to hear about it. You just need to walk in confidence that you walked in the things of God. Man, look how much I loved on that person. Look, aren't I great? Aren't I great? The problem is no one's going to sing for you and no one's going to toot a trombone for you and no one's going to march for you because the truth be told, love doesn't need a parade. And if you're loving people and needing a parade, then you're really walking in a spirit of pride. And it goes into the next verse where it says that love conquers pride. Because it says there, it says it's not puffed up. Being puffed up is a prideful spirit. Love truly conquers the pride level in you. And let me help you with this. Every one of us in this room have some level or have walked in some level of pride. But love conquers it. Love humbles the proud spirit because you realize it is not about you. It is always about what? Others. But let me say this to you as a sidebar real quick. Until you begin to love you, you cannot love anyone else. This is the dangers in our culture today because the church and other people have always taught, well, you just need to love everybody else before yourself. That is the stupidest statement on the planet because if you do not know how to love you, you cannot give love away because what you're giving away is broken love and you're breaking people with your broken love. And so in the process of this message, you need to let God touch your heart before you go start touching others. Because once you love you, then you can give love away. Right. I think more marriages would be safe today if we would learn to love ourselves before we try to love a spouse. Most marriages break because love is broken. It's not because the person is broken. It's because love is broken. There is an, un, uh, an unknown ability how to love. Most of us love based on what we learned or saw as kids. And if you grew up in the wrong home or you grew up in a tough home or you grew up in a situation that is not easy to navigate or deal with, then you are now doing the same love movements that you saw growing up. No, you need to let God teach you his love so that you can give away his love and not fall into the traps and the snares that maybe your parents went through and you now have an ability to love in a greater capacity. So now today we're going to deal with verse 5. You ready? Verse 5. Love... Does not behave rudely. So here would be the context of this statement. If you are rude, you are not loving. What is rudeness? What is being rude? Rude is not just a facial expression. Rude is some of the words that come out of your mouth. Yes. Can, I, can I say this? Growing up as a kid, I became very good at using my mouth as a weapon. Anybody want to join the club? Yes. Y'all are good at cutting with the tongue. Just whack. You're dead. Bye. You, you know how to say things, you know how to do things, you know how to win. Even even when I was a teenager, people would say, Brian, don't get in a verbal confrontation with Brian because he knows how to go for it. I had an older brother, I had a dad who did the same thing. I had to learn how to win because you had to win because if you didn't win, you were going to get annihilated. And I had to, But the problem was, was that loving is not rude. And here's the issue that I have. Let me say this to you as a sidebar. If you think that put-downs, or snide remarks, or ha-ha funnies, you are not going home with the person and watching what those words do to a person when they sit in the confines of the quietness of their own existence. And if you look at me in the face and tell me, pastor, those words don't bother me. You are a liar because that statement that says sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, words create, sticks and stones don't. Sticks and stones create bruises, but words leave indelible scars that if not bathed or baptized in the blood of Jesus will leave a mark on you for the rest of your life. Amen. So let me say this to you. If you think it's funny to make put downs or to have your little quick thoughts because it's funny, haha, and you like the laughter of others at the expense of another person, the love of God is not operating in you. That is the hatred of the enemy. And I'm going to say it that sternly because I have to draw a line sometimes even in my own existence that I do not cross the line back into who I used to be, but I allow all things to become new. I let the cold touch my lips to cleanse my mouth so that I don't speak things like I used to speak them so I do not hurt people's hearts because the moment you hurt someone's heart, they no longer hear you anymore. And you go, I'm trying to win them. I'm trying to tell them about the love of God. Then you need to balance what comes out of your mouth with the love of God. Because if it's not loving and it is coming out rude, shut up because they no longer hear you. Love does not behave rudely. Do we all have a rude thread that runs through us? Yes. There are moments you want to be rude. It's easier to be rude than it is to be angry because you can put rude behind a smile. Amen. My son comes home and he tells me about a kid in his class that's writing derogatory things about him. And my response to him was to say something that was not mean, but basically made him feel stupid. He wrote a, 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 a naughty, nasty word about my son doing something. And I told him, I said, instead of getting mad, I'm just going, go, oh, you know, big words. You're so big. I'm glad. Look, look, everybody's laughing at you. Yay. You're great. Then I started to realize that what I did was I told my son who was being belittled by another person to go belittle that person. So that's rudeness. Because the way you look at it is you go, hey, man, listen. If that's how you want to be, that's cool. But, man, that's not my heart towards you. And I'd appreciate that you don't do that. Because what happens is that when you speak to the heart, you move mountains. But when you speak to the ego or the pride level in a person, you can crush them for a lifetime. So make sure that how you're operating in this thing of your walk, you're operating in this place called love, and you stop behaving rudely. And let me say this to you. You can even be rude to your spouse. And my wife just said amen. Even though she didn't say it, I felt it. That's why I'm looking over here. (laughs) There have been moments I'm just, I'll be rude. Can anybody join my team for just a minute? Listen, I might be spirit, but I'm also flesh. Help me, Jesus. And I'll say, that was rude. It wasn't rude. It was right. It really wasn't because if I loved, I would have just kept my mouth shut. If I loved, I'd have walked in love, not walked in rudeness. Balance, can I just say, put love before you open your mouth. Put love right here before you open your mouth and challenge everything that's about to come out of your mouth and weigh it under the confines of love. If it does not come out to a space where there's loving, keep your mouth closed because you will do more damage and you will win more victories. You, you you won't help anybody. So I want to challenge you that if you're going to operate in love, I need you to stop behaving rudely. We're not talking we're, we're talking about grace and charm, not operating with ego, but with love in every situation. This is one of the hardest versions of love. There's a. There's a version of Christianity that must be blunt and almost brutal, but this love operates with politeness and tact. Have some doggone tact. People tell me things sometimes, I'm like, did you think before you opened your mouth? Like, because what just fell out? I Man, the flesh side of me wants to ball up a fist and lose my mind. But I got to pray for you now. Okay, Yay. You and I should operate in love without being rude. It goes on in that same verse, it says, love does not seek its own. So not only is love not rude, but love is selfless. Love is selfless. It's not selfish, it's selfless. The word seek is defined as this, to go on a quest to find something or oneself. For some reason, we think that love has to reinvent itself consistently. No love is what it is it is its true form is godliness it does not seek to find its own it seeks people to create a deeper space in them it does not love does not seek love love seek love is like a heat seeking missile finding who it can get Once it's been set out in its true form, it is looking for those who do not operate in love and has a desire to bring healing to them because if God is love, then love brings a healing element into someone's life. When you love someone, it causes them to feel God. I'm going to try this again because y'all still look at me like I'm crazy. When you operate in love, it causes someone to feel God. Not you, God. If your love is marked by you, then it is not godly love. It is your love, and your love is flawed. But godly love is is everything in itself, and so when you love out of godly love, it now comes into that person and brings healing, deliverance, salvation, joy, peace, It brings about the fruits of the spirit. It does all of those things. But if your love is not changing the person you're giving it to, you might want to check that it's not your love rather than it's God's love. I can love Tiffany all day long, but if my love is not bringing life to her, then I am loving her out of my own wheelhouse rather than loving her out of the love of God. I can love my children all day long, but if they still disrespect me and they still don't love me the way they should, or they don't honor me as their father, if they don't walk in the fullness of God, then it is not their fault. It is my fault because I am not loving them with the love of God. I am loving them out of the love of Brian. See, it's hard to swallow right now because so many times, I'm going to say this as a parent, so many times we want to blame our children for the lack of love. You might want to check your love levels to your children. Watch this. Bible says, "Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they get older, they won't depart from it." Train up a child in the way she should go. It's, most of us think, "Well, I got to teach them, and I got to grind it into them." Nope. You got to love them. Yeah. Love my daughter. <coughs> love my daughter in the ways of God, and when she gets older, uh, some of y'all can catch this, when she gets older, yeah. it will be so built up on the inside of her that she won't want to depart from it, she'll want to walk in it because it has benefited her her entire life. I would much rather my daughter and my sons say this to me, Daddy, you loved us like God loves us. Not, Dad, you loved us as our dad. Because my daddy love is flawed. My daddy love has moments. My feelings get hurt. My, my, I have opinions and judgments and thoughts. I, I know y'all want me to be like, no, you just walk with the angels. No, I'm human. But I have to check the love levels with my children and with my wife to make sure that I'm loving them as Christ loved the church a love of giving, not receiving. A love based on it is my desire to empty this vessel so that others might benefit, knowing that God is big enough to fill me up all over again. Love does not seek its own. Love does not need to find itself. It's already self-sufficient. Godly love is self-sufficient. It does not need to be hyped up. It is not selfish. It's selfless. If your self is involved in how you love, then it is not God's love. It is your love. And you wonder why you haven't received the blessings or the benefits from the love that you've been giving. Make sure that it's tagged with the things of God. Going on in verse, in that same verse, it says, Love is not provoked. Oh, help us. <laughs> love is not angered. Can I can I just say this to you? We jokingly in the church call this the rebuking finger. That's why politicians don't ever point fingers because it's rude. (laughs) They do this thing. That's how they point. They always do it like this. You never see somebody in public speaking point like this because it's a way of provoking someone's anger. It's poking. Can I say this to you? Keep poking the bear, you're going to get bit. Some reason we think that it's okay to provoke pain, it's okay to provoke hurt. It's okay to provoke past. It's okay to point out certain things. And God says that truly love is not provoked. It doesn't need to provoke a response from you. It just operates in its fullness. I'm not looking, if I love you, I'm not looking for you to jump up and down and go, Pastor loves me. I'm okay with just loving you and operating in life. Love doesn't get angry. It doesn't provoke certain situations. It doesn't get mad. The word provoked is defined as to anger, enrage, exasperate, or vex. It does not say that love is slow to anger. It says that love is not angered or provoked. Can I say this to you as, a, as just, just as, a, as, a, as not even a sidebar, but as a statement to you? If you have a problem with anger then you have not let the love of God manifest. Oh, that's a tough one to swallow because some of us deal. Road rage. Remember this guy. Road rage. I have to. That's why I say it in my car and I don't say it out loud and I roll down my window and, like some people do. Or lay on the horn, you know, 55 feet past the car that they just passed. It's got to be this space where if you want to conquer anger on the inside of you, then you got to let love win on the inside of you because it destroys anger. Are there times I'm angry at Tiffany? Yes. And then love comes in and says, shut up. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter even if you're right. Jesus was right and still died. Because he loved. It's amazing how we want to win. We want to provoke someone else to anger because we think anger, once you get the other one bad, now you've won. No, you've just created a war. But I love them. No, you don't. Because if you love them, you would want them to show love. When love operates on the inside of them, it affects the outside of them. And this always ends up going back to a spousal thing with my wife because I can talk about it because I live it every day. If I walk in the room and I go, hey, baby, good morning, she looks at me like this. It's not her fault. Or she needs coffee, amen. But if she looks at me like that, I have not encountered love with her yet. But if I wake up in the morning, I go, good morning, baby, I love you. How are you feeling this morning? How are you doing this morning? And she looks at me, she might not have that smile yet because she hasn't had her coffee yet. But if she responds to me, I'm good, baby. Thank you. Or I'm feeling good this morning. I've now enacted that love space with her. It makes things flow a lot better. She comes out of the kitchen with a cup of coffee smiling at me. Now, yes, she'll have her honey to-do list, which drives me up a wall. We're going to do this, this, and this, and this. and Can I just sit here for a minute? Just a minute, Please. The other day, that's what happened. That's that's what we're talking about. Okay. And so, uh, can I just just sit for just a second? Baby, I I, I just want a minute. Yeah, we got things to do, though. But she's not not coming at me in a wrong way. There's love on the inside, because when I said that, she goes, okay. Now, it doesn't mean that she did not come back three minutes later. But she at least gave me three minutes. Can I get an amen from the husbands in the room? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise so for you wives that have mastered this and have learned how to get your husband to jump, man, let me know, because my wife would love to know that technique. Amen. And so there's this space in us, though, that, that, that we've got to operate, that when, when Tiff asks me to do something, I don't mean, because that's all it sounds like, men, when we respond. Ugh! That's all they hear. I'm serious, because they're expecting, they know when they walk, it's like this. My wife asked me the other day, she goes, baby, do you want to, what was it, do you want to clean the kitchen? I'm just a blunt person. This was like a couple weeks back. She, you went, or it, was something, it was something to that effect. I, maybe it was do laundry. Was it clean the house? Is it mow the grass? Is it whatever it is? If it's any work, I don't want to do it. Don't, don't judge me right now. Don't. Let it go. She, she'll ask me a question. Do you want to do this? My response to her every time is no. I don't want to do it. You asked. I'm going to tell you straight up. No. I do not? Why not? because you asked. I'm not trying to provoke the bear. I'm just answering honestly. Okay, I'll give you another one. You ready for this one? Y'all all going to laugh at me. Y'all, Some of you ladies are going to judge me. That's okay. My wife says, this outfit look good on me. Do I look fat in this outfit? Don't ask a question you don't want an answer to. I've never told her not one day she looked fat. This is what I respond to her. Are you comfortable? Because if you're not, change clothes. Why? Because when we get in the car and we drive one mile past the house and you start telling me you're uncomfortable, your next statement is going to be this. Why didn't you tell me it didn't look right? I have learned. Amen. I'm not provoking. I'm trying to bring healing. As long as you're comfortable and feel good in what you're in, we're going to have a great night. But if you walk out that house feeling it, it's going to be my fault. And I don't need to be blamed for that foolishness tonight. So we're going to get in the car and we're all going to be happy. I don't care if you wear a T-shirt and a pair of gym shorts and a pair of tennis shoes. I do not care as long as you feel good. Because I am not poking the bear. No. If I'm calling her on the way home, and she's in a frustrated mood, that is code. Go by the gas station, find some chocolate, and bring it home, Jack, because you walk in with candy, you will cause the bear to disappear. Can I get an amen? See, help me all he's really climbing that tree. She's laughing. She's like, amen, preach, baby. Because she knows. I'm not stupid. She used to come home from work after working all day in the hair salon. What did I do? The house is picked up, everybody's okay. What? I learned, put snacks in the car. She's a happy person, but that's the way it works. Y'all just got to work with me. Y'all sit here having to have counseling sessions. I'm trying to give you wisdom. You can fix the anger in somebody, love them. Find out what it is and love them. Don't find out what it is that's hurting them and then point it out. That's provoking. When someone is in need, stop pointing out the flaws and find ways to fix it. That is the love of God. The love of God comes in, and it brings healing to the whole vessel. I use those moments because they're funny. We've learned how to work it. I've learned how to work it. I've learned how to stay out of trouble, amen? I've learned how to keep a good marriage, snacks, amen, (laughs) or candy, or chocolate, whatever. Flowers don't do it, guys. Let me help you with something. Flowers die. Chocolate lasts forever. Okay. It doesn't say don't ever get angry. It says don't stay angry. And find out how to fix what's broken. Here's the last one I'm going to give you for this morning. You get anything out of this? Okay. Verse 5, the last part says, love thinks, no evil. Now, this is a hard one. This is a very tough one. The word thinks is translated as logesestai, which is an accounting word. Another word, love doesn't keep an account of wrongdoings. Love does not keep a record of wrongdoings. I I have this conversation a lot of times when I'm doing marital counseling. I call this uh, the sweep it under the rug method that we do in marriages. And what that is, is is that when you make a mistake, we don't throw out the trash We sweep it under the rug, leaving it for another day for you to stumble over. And then you go, You remember when you did this? Do you remember when you did this? Listen, let me help with something. I remember every wrong I did. I don't need somebody to keep an account of what I did wrong. That is not love. That is called spite. That is called having an offense. The Bible says, Woe to the brother that is offended, woe to the brother that offends another brother, but even more woe to the brother that is offended. He walks in double. Watch this. Watch. Watch. So many times we carry the offenses of someone doing wrong rather than forgiving. We do not forgive. When someone apologizes, we say those words, those famous words. Okay. Hey, man, I really am sorry. Okay. You know what that is? I'll put it in my back pocket. And when you screw up again, I'll pull it back out. This is something that is not just done in marriages. It's done in families. It's done in friendships. It's held. You you say you love them, but the moment they do wrong, you don't just deal with the moment that they did wrong. you got to pull out every other moment that they did something wrong and go, look at this. Instead of saying, hey, let's deal with this moment because I forgave you for the others. No, I've been harboring these things against you. I've been keeping a tab on you. I've got a sheet that tells me every time you've done me wrong. If you want to keep an account of somebody who's done you that wrong, can I ask you this question? Why are you still friends with them? One of the greatest talents in life to learn is to what to forget. I'll forgive him, but I'll never forget, then you haven't forgiven. I'll forgive him, but I'll never forget you've not forgiven. If that's the case, then God is in heaven holding you accountable for every mistake you have made and will make for the rest of eternity. And he is punishing you based on that. And I've heard people say this to me. I think I'm going through this because God's mad at me. Then you obviously do not know God. Because when we repent, God forgives. That doesn't mean he goes, well, I'm going to put this in this book over here. I'm going put this on the shelf. And when Brian screws up again, I'm going to pull this out. I'm going to remember all these times you did this? And this is the sad part. This is what the church is good at. It's holding on to the books of the past rather than holding on to the promises of the future. The great thing about God is God points us to our future. The bad thing about it is the church is becoming looking more like Satan than it does look like God because the church spends more time talking about the past than it does the promise. <laughs> Well, you pastor, I know you want to put them in leadership, but did you know about this that they did when they were 15? But they're like 50 now. What's wrong with you? Yeah, but they did it. And, you know, if they did it once, man, if that's the case, then you probably should run because you probably have done, if not worse, in your life. And it's just a matter of time for your old demons come find you, too. this This is the problem. We don't let people win anymore. We keep them bound to their past. Somebody said to me one time, they said, Pastor, why do you, why do you throw up your mugshot? Why do, you, why do you do all that? Why do you show all your past? Because it's better that I show it to you than you go find it because you need some dirt on me. But you know, I'm, I'm, Did you hear this about my pastor? Everybody in the church goes, yeah, we heard it. He talks about it all the time. <laughs> he's pretty open with what he's done. Amen. Because there's no reason in me hiding the things that I've done. But for some reason, people want to hold account. Uh, One of the one of the things that we ever I think every marriage, well, maybe not your marriage, but a lot of marriages have walked through is that when we make mistakes, we hold them accountable to every mistake. How do you win in a relationship? How do you win in life if you're only reminded of the bad things you've done? And never the good things you've accomplished. And sometimes, at least for me as a man. It is very hard for me at moments to be overcome by the love that responds to a positive space or a victory in me when I've been told about what I did wrong. Because now I got to get over my defeat before I can find victory. And y'all, I don't know if y'all realize this, but it takes time to get over defeats. I am not proud of my mistakes. I am not proud. And let me help some. I've been married for 12 years, and I can attest I have not done it right all the time. It does not benefit my wife to come to me and go, yeah, remember you did this on year one? Now I do. Great, I'll go to the corner and cry again. Praise God. It doesn't benefit for even her to remind me what I did a week ago if I've asked for forgiveness. Now let me say this to you real quick. Making asking for forgiveness as a part of your regiment. Prove that you do not operate in love. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you are asking for forgiveness more than you're doing what's right, then you've turned forgiveness into an escape goat for bad behavior. If I find myself in a position where I'm saying I'm sorry a lot, then I might want to check into my heart space of why I'm so sorry. Because most of the time, the reason I'm apologizing so much is because how I view myself, because I'm viewing myself as a sorry individual. Right. And so now my actions display what my heart beats. And so I say, God, come in and fix that space in me so that I don't have to apologize that much Does it mean that I don't apologize? Ask my wife. I apologize. Even when I think I'm right, I apologize. Let me explain to you why. I apologize because there is no victory in pain. There is no victory in a fight. I say this all the time. You ever watch a boxing match? You see the guy that got beat up, right? You're like, dang, he got beat. You ever seen the guy who won the day after? His ears are swollen. His face is swollen. He might not have bled during the fight. He might not have even swelled up during the fight. But the next day, the dude looked like he went to a plastic surgeon and got beat up really bad. And you go, but he's the winner. But he doesn't look like the winner because there are no winners in a fight. There are no winners in holding that space of account against people. You can hold people accountable to their actions, but you cannot hold them hostage to their mistakes. Love, love does not think evil about people. It does not hold records of wrongdoing. Many people continue to nurse their pain with other people in order to keep it warm. Godly love lets go so that there can be true freedom. Godly love lets go. Watch this, and I know this because I don't even have to ask for hands to go up. There are those of you in this room that are holding people hostage for what they did to you. I'm still angry. I'm still not over it. Then you will never experience the fullness of God's love until you let them go. And I pray that if I've ever done anything to you in the time that you've been in this church, I pray that you forgive me so that you can experience the fullness of God because I have no recourse in making that happen until you choose to let your love and your heart beat with him again rather than beat with me. So many times we carry people to the grave and wonder why we died. Instead of letting go so that you can live the life in him, so you can see the fullness of him operate in you and know what it is to walk in godly love. I got to sit on this one for a minute because I think this is where we, my wife and I have talked about this one over and over and over just in the course of ministry. And that is the spirit of forgiveness. Most people's pain comes out of a spirit of unforgiveness. And I'll go as far as to say a lot of people's sicknesses come out of a place of unforgiveness. Forgiving someone is one of the hardest things to do, but it's the one thing that God did really well. And if I aspire to reflect him, then I must live in a place of forgiveness, even those who wrong me. And I can stand on this platform and, and t- put a box up and step on that box and put another box and step on another box and tell y'all for the next 45 minutes of all the people that have done me wrong. Or I can just choose to forgive because here's the truth about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't just free you, it frees them. There's nothing worse than being the one who created or, or, or uh, made a mistake. There's nothing worse than that feeling. When you know you've made it, There's nothing worse than having to live in the fact that you made it. There is a great space, though, when you know that the ones you've afflicted and have let you go. Because that is a a place called bondage. God never called you to live in bondage. Let me say this to you real quick. There are those of you in this room, and I have to say this, Pastor Ben, you can come on. There are those of you in this room that have been holding people hostage for the things they've done to you. And you are searching for God's love. Searching God, I just want to feel your love. I want to feel your embrace. I want to know that you're with me. God, I want to feel that space. And God says, you'll never feel it. You'll never feel it until you let them go. Because here's what it is. Pastor Dylan, come here for a second. And no, I'm not going to beat him up. Watch, watch. How can God hold you when you're holding on to other things. And this is, not, this is not an embrace of love. That's an embrace of pain. I'm going to hold on to my hurts. Oh, God, hold me. God says, in order for me to embrace you, you have to be able to embrace me. How can you embrace me if you're embracing everything else? Paul, come here for a second. I love this. I love doing, using him. Two big, tall guys. I feel really short running around these guys, and I'm six foot tall. It's like, a, so one Sunday, Paul came up to me and he hugged me, and I'm a hugger, so don't misunderstand. I'm a two arm hugger. I'm not that. I'm not that church hug. Hey, man, how are you? Hey, okay, hey, that's, that's weird. I'm a hugger. I'm an embracer. I just swear I am. And I walked up to Paul, and and Paul, Paul's like, hey, Pastor, come here. And I did this, and we oh, got my feedback on my mic here. And I said, man, I feel weird though. Like my head landed in the middle of his chest. <laughs> like, this is awkward. It has got really weird real quick. But here's the truth of it. I felt the embrace. Paul's older than me. I know he looks young, but he's older than me. I felt the embrace of a father as of opposed to the embrace of pain. Because you cannot get intimate with pain. But you can get intimate with the Father. Do you understand what I'm saying? I've found myself over the years. Thank you guys. I've found myself over the years holding on to what hurt me when all God wanted to do was deliver me. I stand up here and I tell you my stories and I tell you the things I've been through and the mistakes I've made. And, and people come to me, Pastor, you know we don't think that. You can think what you like. Because I'm not searching for your embrace. I'm making sure. Let me tell you why I tell my stories as much as I do. Somebody says, you stop telling your stories all the time. We've all heard them. I tell you why I tell them all the time. Because it reminds me to leave them on the ground rather than picking them up. Because it is very easy for my mind and my heart to pick up my past than it is for me to pick up the promise. And I'm just being honest with you. It is very easy to say, I'm not where I want to be because of what I've been through. That is wrong. You are where you are because you refuse to let go of what you've been through. Those people that hurt you, those people who did you wrong, those people who said things about you, let me help you. They didn't do it to spite you. They didn't do it to inflict pain on you. They did it because they were hurting themselves, and they did not understand godly love. I used to be mad at my dad, both of them. why did my real dad want to stay? Why couldn't he just be a good dad? Why couldn't he just been that guy that that just took on his responsibilities? Why couldn't he be a man that loved my mama? Why couldn't he be a man that loved his two boys? He took time to make them. Why couldn't he love us? Which turned into a young boy at six years old going, why will no man love me? As I got older, God began to deal with me. He said, Brian, it's not that he didn't want to. He didn't know how to. Then my mom remarried, and and, and 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 yes, there was provision, and yes, there was a roof over our heads, and yes, there was food on the table, and yes, we pretty much had anything we wanted, but the love wasn't there, and I got mad. Why, why did he have to be this guy, and why did he have to be abusive, and why did he have to do all these things? And he said, Brian, he just didn't know how to love you because he hadn't received the fullness of my love yet. You were putting expectations on someone who had not walked have received my love yet. Stop holding them hostage for lack of knowledge, but pray for them and be an open door so that when they're ready, they can come back to me. And so with both of my fathers, my door is still open. I don't need to tell you all the story. I could sit here and tell you all the junk I went through. The abuse, the verbal abuse, the abandonment, the rejection. I have every right to be angry. Or I have every right to love. And here's what happens out of my love. Do you know what I'm teaching my kids? Love no matter what. Because it will benefit you for a long time. I don't go to bed at night in pain because I didn't have a dad. Or don't have a dad today. I don't go to bed. Oh, God, I don't understand. Why has it got to be? You know what I I do? I spend more time grieving for them because I know, I almost feel what they felt in not having that love operate through them. I've forgiven them. You know how I know I've forgiven them? Because none of me responds how they did. That means that vein is gone out of me. That means that pain is gone out of me. That stress, that struggle is gone. And I now operate in love. And every time I see them, I open the door. Every time. Hey, can we get together? Nope. Okay, cool. Hey, man, can we get it? Nope. Okay, cool. Someone says, are you ever going to stop asking? Nope. Because God's never going to stop loving. And I might as well keep the door open because maybe I might be a conduit for a breakthrough in their life. Because that's what God's called me to do is love with his love, not with my own. If you're in this room this morning, and you got unforgiveness towards people. I'm not going to ask you to go call them. I'm just going to ask you to let them go. Take off the handcuffs, remove the roadblocks cuz you'll become a lot more free if you'll let them go. You don't have to even have to tell them you let them go. Just let them go. Stop holding pain with people and hold on to the promise that God has for you. It's time for us to walk in this thing called love.